Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and today my guest is Dan Heck, who's a Vice President of Horizon Research. Dan, thanks so much for being here. Of course, Sam. It's a pleasure. So I mentioned Horizon Research. I was wondering if you could just let us know uh, quickly what it is that you do at Horizon Research and how that's organized. Sure. Um, We're an independent um, STEM education research company uh, located in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We do quite a bit of work in um, third-party evaluation of funded uh, grants, uh, but we also um, have a number of our own our own grants and contracts. Uh, so we're a research and evaluation group, uh, and also provide technical assistance both to funders and to uh, grantees. Oh, great. And I've had the pleasure of working with you several times, both as an evaluator on a Michigan State project mm-hmm. um, and then also as an advisor on one of our projects here. So, right. But it's good to be here to talk about some of your research because you've spent a lot of time and effort really helping people think through their own research. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking about Dan's article that was published in 2019 in Educational Studies in Mathematics. And that article is entitled, Scaling Up Innovative Learning in Mathematics, Exploring the Effect of Different Professional Development Approaches on teacher knowledge, beliefs, and instructional practice. Um, so Dan, before we dig into that uh, article, I always like to just get a little bit of background on my guests. So I was going to ask you, where did you do your graduate studies, and then what did you focus on for your dissertation? So I have a master's degree um, in education from Wake Forest. That was where I got uh, started in teaching, high school teaching in mathematics, but then uh, did doctoral studies at the University of Illinois in educational psychology. But I still focused on math education uh, with that work. So my dissertation was really a methodological study about how uh, different models of student achievement really uh, define what we mean by achievement gap differently. So it was using a couple of different, um, I guess what we'd call equity factors, equity grouping factors, uh, and uh, modeling scores from a statewide assessment using these different approaches to talk about what that might say about what it would mean to um, claim that there's a gap Mm. uh, between groups and what it might mean to close that gap. Okay. And uh, who was the advisor that you worked with there? Uh, Lizanne DiStefano. She's no longer at Illinois, but um, yeah, she was my advisor there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, um, let's move into your current work. So this is a study that you undertook with um, Courtney Plumley, Despina Stylianu, Adrian Smith, and Gwendolyn Moffitt. And so um, this scaling up innovative learning in mathematics, looking at the professional learning uh, kind of experiences and different formats that teachers had, I was wondering if you could just let us know uh, what the start, what the origin of this study was. Yeah, um, and that's good to, to mention because the, the real originator of this was Kathy Fosno at City College of New York and Math in the City group there. Um, so Despina uh, also uh, works at City College and ended up being PI on that on that grant, but Kathy actually started it. So we worked with Kathy Fosno and Martin Dolk uh, from the Freudenthal Institute in the Netherlands, whose interest was in um, the professional development that uh, they provide for teachers that are using the, uh, mostly using the context for learning mathematics um, curriculum materials. So those are um, elementary grades units uh, that are, are based on, you know, work from Freudenthal and, and, and other groups that um, are really about trying to teach mathematics through context. And I can say a little more uh, about that when I talk about the, the professional development itself. But they had produced a lot of digital resources that were, um, that they made use of in more um, typical face-to-face um, professional development institutes for teachers. 
and they were looking for ways to um, repackage and deliver those um, so that teachers could could make use of them um, more independently from those institutes. And so that was actually the origin of the study was to compare, you know, a more typical institute um, experience for teachers with this kind of self-guided course using those multimedia resources. And then we also established a, um, a comparison group that would be using the same units but not receiving professional development through either of those means. So th that became the, the three groups in the study. And they um, invited Horizon to um, kind of offer a, a third party, because we, we didn't have a dog in the fight, I guess, with any of this. So we were able to um, set up the research conditions and do all the data collection and analysis. But it really was a partnership with, with City College to do this. Okay, and so you're really overall, you're interested in finding out what sort of results from these different ways in which the teachers can engage in professional learning. Were there ever any other kinds of professional learning that you wish you could have included in the comparison? Or, you know, you have these three types um, that you described. Right. Um, as you were going in there, were there others that came to mind or others that you wished about that couldn't be included? Yeah, um, you know, the, the multimedia course um, really was set up as almost like an independent study for people. We really looked at that as a little constrained because um, something that might be done in a, in a PLC at a school or a district where teachers are working with those materials over the course of, you know, a year or more, but doing so in a, in a, with, with colleagues was, you know, an, another possibility um, that we had thought of. But again, trying to make kind of strict distinctions between the different experiences that teachers had we chose not to do that. The other thing I think was, um, and this we write about in the discussion and conclusion of the paper, is that um, you know this was really not meant to be a horse race to choose which is best. Mm. But uh, you know we didn't see um, a lot of value in kind of having these hybrids of the different formats. But we actually believe that that kind of thing is probably where teacher learning is going to be most supported. Um, when they have access to all all these different types of professional learning experiences. Okay, yeah, I think that's a good clarification. Like you're not you're not seeking a winner out of these. You're not you're not assuming that one of these is going to be the best. Mm -hmm. But you want to see what are the affordances of these different formats for professional learning, and then by learning about that those affordances, that might inform us as a field about how we might put them together or what purposes we might try to employ them for. Yeah, that that's exactly right. I mean, I, I hope that's what we learned from it was. You know, what are some of the real benefits of each type of uh, learning engagement? You know, and although we didn't test it, I think we um, suggested some ideas about how to, how to put those together to, um, you know, not just as a kind of uh, sum of the parts, but um, maybe something that's more than the sum of those parts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have the facilitated workshop, we have the multimedia course, and then we have those uh, curriculum resources. Right. And then you're also going to look at uh, teacher knowledge, teacher beliefs, and then even some at instructional practices. So could you tell us a little bit about the data that you had, and then how did you analyze the data to sort of, you know, draw that whole picture together? Mm-hmm. So one, one thing was uh, we did collect data about the um, teacher's engagement with, with each um, of the learning experiences. Um, and, and I should say maybe before we go on, the, the curriculum materials only group, um, we did not really treat as a, as, as a control 
um, because of the nature of the curriculum materials, they, re- they really actually do provide a lot of learning opportunities for teachers in the sense of educative um, materials. So, so that really was another learning format. So we analyzed um, the nature of each of those um, opportunities or experiences uh, that teachers might uh, w- were assigned to in those groups. And then the data we collected from teachers, we had you know, pre and post measures um, of beliefs about what was important uh, in teaching early algebra and teachers' um, sense of preparedness to teach those topics at their grade levels because this spanned a lot of grade levels. And then we had three measures uh, that were open-ended responses um, from the teachers uh, that were really tied to the kind of teaching um, that the units promote. So one was about um, this idea of using context uh, as a way to develop uh, mathematical models and mathematical understanding. Another was about using um, a, a device that's in, in this particular curriculum that are strings of related problems. So it's a series of you know what might just look like exercises for the students to do, but they're carefully put together to, to develop a set of concepts uh, as the students work through them. Um, and then the third one was a video prompt of uh, two students working uh, on a mathematics uh, problem, and the teachers had access to both the video and copies of the, the student work. And so they were um, analyzing what the students understood and where a good kind of next prompt, uh, if you were to confer uh, with those students at the moment um, of this video, what questions would you ask them to, to push their understanding forward? So we had those measures, and then we also asked that all the teachers were expected to teach the unit during the year, so we kept a log of their use of the unit as well. So that was our that was the instructional uh, measure was um, was through that that logging of their uh, implementation of the unit. I'm speaking with Dan Heck about his article in Educational Studies in Mathematics. Uh, so I just want to go right ahead and, and look at uh, what you found. Um, but let's start by talking about how you mapped the professional learning experiences, these different, these three different formats that you were um, focusing on. Mm-hmm. How did those map to the general principles that you were thinking about of professional learning overall? Mm-hmm. We started from the, um, what we often call kind of the professional consensus about effective teacher learning opportunities. Um, so things like uh, duration and coherence and uh, collective participation uh, active learning opportunities. We took that that set and analyzed each of these uh, professional learning experiences. What we saw from the um, you know that the facilitated institute was was really built on these principles. Mm-hmm. So it it was um, probably you know what would what would generally be considered a high quality learning opportunity for teachers according to those principles. The multimedia course really offered all of those things as well. Uh, except for collective participation, which which I mentioned before, um, you know, we wanted to look at this as as kind of a self-guided, self-studied uh, course. So it didn't have that that aspect to it. It also didn't have uh, expert facilitation in the um, kind of classic sense that because there was no facilitator. But the way that those materials were put together and the uh, the guidance for two teachers to work through them was done by those same experts that led the institute. So while the teachers weren't interacting with them, they were benefiting from the guidance about how to work through that um, self-guided course. You know, it was really when we 
pushed ourselves to apply that same kind of thinking to the curriculum materials that we realized that really wasn't a just a control condition because those materials do have a lot of elements of, um, again, what we'd call educative curriculum materials. There are sample student responses. There are suggested questions for teachers. There are sample dialogues uh, between teachers and students. Uh, there's a lot of information about the mathematics content and how it's developed in the units, the, the different contexts and models that are introduced to develop that, that content. You know, having applied those principles, we really saw that as another um, professional learning experience that had those same features uh, for teachers if they were to work through it in that way, as well as, you know, that actually shows a nice overlap with what we mean by educative curriculum materials, that, that good professional development and good educative materials share many of those same features. Mm-hmm. So with that all in mind, what did you find um, with your co-authors when you looked at the impact of those professional learning experiences on the beliefs, knowledge, and instructional practice? You know, I think our, our going in, uh, we kind of imagined that the facilitated institute uh, probably would have stronger effects, uh, and then the multimedia course maybe, and then the, the materials. What we found actually was growth in all three conditions. Mm and only very minor differences among them. And that growth was pretty consistent across the the different um, instruments. Not every single one, which I actually um, find that kind of comforting. Everything didn't come up rosy. I always sort of worry if that's the case. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so what we we ended up seeing was uh, pretty consistent and notable uh, growth on uh, most of the the measures um, that we had. The, the one that did not show that growth was the use of these um, strings of related problems. Uh, and again, that was across the board. Um, we, we didn't find that um, uh, the way we were measuring that, at least, that um, we were able to detect growth, but all the other measures we did. Yeah, to me, that's very interesting to think about, and especially just the role of the curriculum resources themselves. It's something that I'm actually hoping to study more, mm-hmm. um, looking at providing some curriculum resources and then thinking about it not just as a kind of throwaway kind of control thing, but sort of really investigating what can come from those curriculum resources in terms of teacher knowledge or especially instructional practice. Mm-hmm. I know it's kind of from our history in math education that we've tried big experiments on like a you know a national level of trying to change curriculum resources. And we know it's not the magic bullet. Mm-hmm. But if there are some benefits, some impacts that are positive that can come from embedding features into curriculum materials or things that can come from curriculum materials, it's good for us to know about it because that's something that's easier to scale up. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, and that's, you know, that's actually consistent with Horizon's work on the local systemic change through teacher enhancement uh, evaluation a number of years ago. All that investment was um, based on, um, you know, districts or, or schools adopting curriculum materials and building professional development around it. You know, there were there were a number of positive effects uh, in in that investment. So, yeah, I don't think we're looking for the solution. I think we're looking for the combination of of things that are going to provide us the best opportunities for teachers and kids. And your study too, talking about that kind of comparison and you know, sort of the the benefits that can come from curriculum resources by themselves, um, also reminds me of this Polly articles by Polly Wang and others. Um, it's from 2018, an early childhood education journal. But they, if I remember correctly, they looked at a kind of facilitated, extended professional development experience for teachers at the elementary level. 
And then they also compared that to just giving the teachers some some technology resources and stuff that they can use if they want to. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, it was kind of almost a wash. It was almost like similar benefits on both. And there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't as much gained by having this extended facilitation as you might expect. And mm-hmm. so to me, that's something I kind of want to revisit that in conjunction with what you're finding in your study. Right. My, my sense is what, we, what would serve the field best is figuring out what is sort of unique and, and strongest about each of these opportunities and then, and then building them together so that we can have uh, coherence and efficiency in, in the uh, support that we provide for teachers. Yeah, and we can, yeah, I'll just echo the efficiency part because, you know, if there's something that you really want to achieve with teachers um, and you can do it for, you know, much fewer resources, much less time commitment, much less money invested, that's something we should know about. But then if you want some of the nuance, some of the influence that can come from a, a facilitation and detailed interactions with, you know, between teachers, then in that case, that's where you can kind of push to that that side of things. Right. Um, I want to, though, ask you one more thing that you looked at in your study. You have this interview data with the teachers. I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could just talk about how that interview data arose and made its way into the article. Yeah, so the original study that we submitted didn't have that component and uh, was, was not accepted for publication uh, with the suggestion that we do more to tie the teacher's learning to um, the experiences that they had. And so because, of course, through the review process, a good bit of time had passed then, but we were still able to do a little more data collection, we developed this uh, idea of uh, contacting some of those um, teachers that we had. You know, we had this other data uh, about their learning, and um, this was now two years later, and follow up with them to have them describe their own learning in light of the different experiences that they had. And our goal was to uh, try to determine what about each of those experiences they, you know, would attribute their, their learning to. So what we found in doing that was that, uh, you know, for each format, the teachers could still pinpoint specific experiences that they had um, that they believed supported the learning or changes in their instruction. And those things um, really mapped quite nicely to these features of um, effective professional learning or to uh, features of educative curriculum materials. Our, our questions were actually fairly open to them, and the kinds of things they mentioned uh, really did align uh, well with, uh, with those things. So that was a, a way of uh, addressing that concern about the article, but also extending uh, what we learned uh, about it to understand that um, the, those features that we think are important, teachers also uh, tend to think are important for their own learning. The article is called Scaling Up Innovative Learning in Mathematics, uh, and it's published in Educational Studies in Mathematics. And Dan, I was wondering if you could just kind of summarize for us what you see as the main takeaway from this article for our audience. Yeah, so I, I will first uh, say that the main takeaway is, is not to choose uh, uh, from these formats but that each of them offers um, strong learning opportunities that can influence teachers' beliefs, knowledge, and and practice in positive ways. And I think it it offers some sense of um, what each of those um, different formats, the facilitated workshop, the uh, multimedia uh, self-guided course, and the uh, educative curriculum materials um, can offer. And again, in this case, it's independently um, but maybe gives us a way to think about how those can work in concert um, to support uh, teachers' learning and change in their instructional practice. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I know you've listened to the podcast before, so you know this last mm-hmm. question that I have, but <laughs> even though we've worked together for a while and, and know each other, I actually don't yeah. know at all what your answer to this is going to be. So yeah. if you were not in mathematics education as your career, what can you imagine doing instead? Uh, so I, I'm a great lover of um, the outdoors and um, our, our national parks and uh, public lands. Mm. I, I am just fascinated by landforms and geology. So I think if I was not a math educator and could restart uh, my career, or if I can imagine doing something different, it would be um, a, a geologist um, where I could uh, spend, spend that time outdoors but make it my professional life as well. Hmm. Do you have a particular favorite national park or just mm-hmm. one that really has hit home with you? Yeah, I, I worked in Yellowstone when I was in college, oh. uh, summers in college. I, I worked um, as a, a, a cook and a waiter in a village in Yellowstone National Park. So that has a really special place for me. Well, Dan, it's great talking to you. Thanks so much for uh, doing the interview. Thank you very much, Sam.